Hi, and welcome to the Purdue Commercial AgCast from the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture. I'm Dr. Brady Brewer, and I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics. And joining me today uh, are two members of the Purdue's Farm Transition Team, Dr. Michael Langmeyer and Ed Ferris. Uh, today's podcast focuses on another farm transition topic. So this is part of the farm transition series. Uh, so just as a reminder, if you uh, if this if you're a first time listener, uh, there will be a link in the description below uh, for the other episodes that, that are a part of this series. Uh, but today's topic is on uh, operating agreements and buy sell agreements. Uh, so Michael, I'll uh, kick kick this uh, episode off with you. Do you want to go over what is an operating agreement? An operating agreement essentially just uh, outlines the owner's business roles and responsibilities inside the business entity. And so and so I'm going to talk more about the provisions here uh, in, in a minute or two. Uh, but how are decisions made? Who has the, who who can enter into uh, the operating agreement or join the operation? Uh, what how do we make capital contributions? How do we withdraw money uh, from 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 the from the business? These are the types of things that an operating agreement uh, is essential for is, is to try to make decisions on this. And, and another thing that, that Ed is going to talk about here uh, in, in about five five to 10 minutes is, is another thing that's uh, typically an operating agreement is buy-sell agreements. And so we'll, we'll talk more about that uh, in, in a few minutes. Uh, so, you know, so an operating agreement, as you said, uh, helps lay out how the, the business, to put it plainly, is going to operate. Why is this such a, a valuable tool to have in your farm succession toolbox? It's, it's very important for, for situations where you have several family members in the business. I mean, if it's a sole proprietor, this uh, this issue is not going to come up. Uh, but if you have but if you have multiple generations, you have maybe uh, two or three uncles farming together, uh, and 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 they all have sons or daughters that are thinking about entering entering the business. These things become absolutely essential because they're they're just a formal business protocol, uh, laying out some of some of the some of the decision making and and uh, uh, and capital needs and 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 uh, and things like that. Of, of for the for the business, um, it, it also outlines operational and manager managerial rules. Uh, for example, uh, you know how, how do we how, who is who's managing what parts of the business? How are we going to transfer management from one generation to the next? And so and so all of these items are in that operating agreement. And and as I indicated, when you have several generations, uh, you know, um, uh, and you have uh, cross generations or, or multiple generations in the business. You need to have something like this to just lay out some rules. So it, it strikes me, Michael, this seems like something, yes, it's important for farm succession, but this seems like it's important just for managing a, a farm entity that has several generations or, or several decision makers uh, that are involved. Yeah, it's, 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 it's important for every business where the transition planning part comes in is when you're bringing another member in, if you have one of these operating agreements, it goes much smoother because the operating agreement is gonna talk about how capital contributions are made, how voting rights are, are decided in the business, who has the, who has the right to enter the business. That might sound strange, who has the right to enter the business, but I, I run across situations all the time where you have several family members farming together and there's several people in the younger generation coming up that want to farm. I mean, you might not necessarily be able to absorb all those people uh, you, you right away. And so, and so an operating agreement lays out 
Uh, these are the skills that we need in this business. This is how this is how we go about uh, deciding whether someone can 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 join this business. It also is really important uh, looking at the uh, looking at the, the coordination between the on form and off form ears. Uh, for example, um, uh, how, can a off form ear contribute capital to the business? Uh, uh, how do we, uh, you know, how do we handle something like that if they want to do that? And so there's just a lot of, uh, you know, you know, rights and, re and responsibilities that are laid out in in, in operating in operating agreements. All right. So these obviously affect how a farm uh, uh, does their day-to-day -day business. Uh, Michael, what are some of the common provisions that you see included in some of these operating agreements? Yeah, I'm going to lay out kind of a laundry list here. I've talked about some of those things, but let's be really clear. Uh, first of all, you would need names of shareholders, business address, just some standard uh, information related to the business. Uh, as I indicated, you'd want terms of capital contributions by the shareholders. That would include on-farm uh, heirs, uh, on-farm heirs, those in the business, off-farm heirs. Uh, and so make sure that's clearly laid out. Uh, titles and responsibilities. Uh, this would be a good place to talk about who's responsible, which part of the business, what is their role in the business, uh, and that would also include roles of people coming into the business, as I indicated before. Is there some skills that we really need in the business? Is that something we should uh, talk to the younger generation about? A classic example of that is maybe we don't have any in the business right now uh, that spends a lot of time on crop insurance. Uh, and, and, and government payments. And maybe maybe we should encourage one of the people who might be entering the business in a few years uh, to focus on that area. Finance is another area, for example. Um, machinery, uh, you know, handling machinery, that would be another uh, area that you might want to talk to the younger generation about. And so all of those things can be uh, in the operating agreement. Some other things, uh, liability issues are, are typically discussed in the, in the operating agreement. Uh, authority, uh, who has the right to make decisions, for example, who has the right to buy a combine? How is that decision made? Uh, is that a vote? Is there somebody responsible uh, for capital purchases? Uh, personnel, who you know, the decision-making protocol. Who's in charge of of hired hired employees, for example? Uh, ownership and compensation. Uh, we've talked about compensation on this podcast before, and so how is compensation made? Uh, does does uh, does someone have the right to just uh, you know uh, withdraw ten thousand dollars without asking somebody? Probably not, and so that could be in, in the operating agreement. Um, uh, Ed's gonna talk about buy-sell agreements. They're typically in, in the operating agreement. Uh, in addition, and that's very important uh, for the younger generation to have these buy-sell agreements because uh, that's, their, uh, that's their way of, of, of building capital. Uh, uh, and, and so those are extremely important. Uh, disillusion, uh, that would be standard for any agreement, but how can we dissolve or, or change uh, the, 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 uh, the, the provisions of the operating agreement? So these can be fairly broad and not all of the things I've talked about are necessarily in the operating agreement, uh, but, but, but some of this stuff needs to be established, particularly if there's several younger family members that want to join the business. It's so much easier, so much smoother for those people to join the business if we have some protocols. Yeah, it sets a, a stick in the sand, right? For you know where, what is going to happen on the farm and gives everyone a, a good idea of that. The word I like to use is, and that's not always the case in this transition planning world, as, as Ed can uh, attest to, is transparency. Uh, the younger generation knows what they're getting into and the older generation knows uh, knows what the younger generation is thinking and, and, and what they're expecting. So you went through some pretty... Uh, 
uh, big items there, Michael. Uh, one one question I have for you is: Can these operating agreements be flexible? What happens? You know, do, should a farm think about changing it if they've already have one in place? Let's say it may not be uh, exactly what they thought. Can can you go back and change it? Yeah, they they, they can be dissolved, or they can they, that that mechanism should actually be in the operating agreement. Uh, you know how how are how are how are conflicts resolved? Uh, you know, you might not necessarily need to dissolve the entire operating agreement, start from start from scratch, though you could do that. Uh, but but that provision needs to be in the operating agreement. And if you get legal advice, uh, which which you should seriously consider uh, when you when you're working on these operating agreements, uh, they'll make sure that's in there. Uh, they'll make sure that there's some provision in there to change uh, slash dissolve uh, the operating agreement. Uh, sometimes people uh, think they're going to get along really well uh, when they're when they're working together, and it doesn't end up being that way. And so that those are pretty important provisions. So you can almost think of it like a bylaw for the farm. This is this is the charter that everyone is going to abide by. Definitely. So my next question is, you know, you talked about uh, a provision for who can go buy a combine. Uh, what happens if someone violates these operating agreements? Do you also put in protocols for if they're violated? I would think you would need something related to that. And it, it, I don't know how typical that would be, but I, I remember a situation uh, you know, several years ago, uh, the, from, and this was in Nebraska, but that, that's not immaterial to the example. Uh, but, but someone was, was getting dementia and they, and they went ahead and bought a tractor without anybody's permission. Uh, and 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 they were able to reverse that, but but that does come up. Things come up where someone decides he wants to. He, they do something. Um, you know, it, it was dementia in this case, but maybe they just want to buy a tractor, uh, and they go ahead and do that. So yes, yeah, something something needs to be in the operating agreement to uh, to to prevent that from happening. And and typically, what farms will do is is for small purchases. Uh, you know, in, individual family members can go ahead and do that. If they wanted to buy a riding lawnmower or something like that, uh, that's probably not that controversial. Uh, but if you want to buy a combine, that's probably something that there's that the, the shareholders want to vote on uh, and, and discuss. And, and usually with, the, with, with, with a lot of input from the person that's responsible for the finances, do we have enough cash flow to, to buy the combine, uh, you know, things like that. I'm sure that was an interesting conversation to the equipment dealer and a, uh, one that they'll, they'll always remember. Yeah, they, luckily it was a small rural community and so and so they did understand and, and it's, it's kind of surprising that that uh, machinery dealer because it was pretty close to that where that farm was at and they had to know the family. It's surprising that they let it happen in the first place, but, uh, but nevertheless, they were able to reverse that. So Ed, I, I want to turn to you now. So uh, Dr. Lingmeyer mentioned that buy-sell agreements are a large part of these operating agreements. Um, so first off, what is a buy-sell agreement? Well, it's really a document that establishes entry and exit terms for owners and ensures the business continuity. You never know what's going to come up with, when in people's personal lives. You know, the, you always hear about the three Ds, death, disability, and divorce, and so this is another uh, plan that goes right along with the operating agreement, and it just ensure, assures that the owners that they're reasonably compensated for the sale of their business assets. Um, you know, it provides some liquidity um, when you when you have those the three big D's happen. You know, it, it tries 
the, the agreement is in place there just to help keep that business in, 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 uh, so that, so that it's, it's not a position where they have to do make some, um, choices that they really don't have to they hopefully that they they review these uh, buy sell agreements on a regular basis and and think ahead when you're when they're putting them in place to, to as we talked about you know you've got other generations sometimes involved you've got sometimes multiple siblings and perhaps you you write these agreements different based on the siblings that you know there, there are some that are maybe are involved in business and some that aren't involved with the business. And so you can spell that out with these buy sell agreements. Um, so obviously this allows you, as you said, some uh, layout, some of why the, for the people that want to buy the farmland versus the people that don't want to buy it, it can help with that. What are some of the common provisions that you would put in these buy sell agreements? Sure. The, the provisions that you would commonly have would be uh, identify, identification of the involved parties, the purpose, commitments, uh, business interest description, transfer restrictions during their lifetime. You want to make sure that you state that, you know, who has first right of refusal if, you know, somebody does not want to uh, increase their percentage of the business and or you know if somebody's getting out you know they they have to you know maybe you want to state that is to say who you know who's got the right to um have the first opportunity at, at this uh you 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 want to have a purchase price mechanism in there you, you know stating how are you going to come up with this value that they're buying and, and selling at um you know funding mechanisms you know, are they are they allowed to uh, go out and and you know obtain a loan? What they can obtain a loan, uh, that type of thing. Uh, terms of modification and just have have the agreement executed. Usually, you know, a lot of times these are put in place with with an attorney involved. So, so uh, you mentioned some pretty restrictive stuff there. Uh, I'm going to single out the obtaining a loan versus not obtaining a loan. Is there a reason why you would want to put that restriction on on the heirs to say, uh, no, we don't want you obtaining a loan to be able to purchase this once the buy sell is triggered, or or whether you would want them to be able to? Uh, that that seems like a very uh, odd restriction to put in place. Yeah, there's there's these are going to be unique to the situations, and if it's a you know the next uh, younger generation coming in, you know you want to make sure that they have the financial wherewithal to um, get into the business. And, you know, that's, that's if, if they've, uh, uh, you know, maybe they, they don't have, or, you know, they made some bad decisions in other businesses and they're trying, you know, they, so you, you may want to, you know, spell that out pretty clearly as to, you know, what they, uh, you know, and, and sometimes maybe they're even will carry notes uh, for uh, people that, you know, just to help, in that process it can be you know a way to uh that that you you could you know provide for some uh equity uh not equity but just just to, to have a backup there by having the uh, the business to help support maybe a younger generation so you're saying ed this might be a mechanism for the older generation to provide financing to the younger generation right maybe with installment contract or something like that and so and so that that's really that's fairly common 
uh, to have you know, to do that. And, and then the other thing that I want to single out is you talked about the valuation piece. Um, what's a what are a couple common ways that someone may dictate the valuation of the assets being transferred? So you you want to think about what the uh, um, market conditions are, and and if if you have a situation when land is you know, booming and you may want to say, to cap off, you know, what, what the price of land could be, or, you know, just to have it at a reasonable price. So it can be afforded um, because they're, you know, they're close within the family. And I think there's depending on how you said, you know, you have to think about the IRS, but, but, you know, if you're close related and that type of thing, there are uh, abilities you can, you know, uh, set, set things up to, to benefit, uh, people in that regard and then in, in some cases like if it's machinery you may you know want to have an appraiser come in from a local or, or you know have, have a have a system set up that, that to make sure it's fair uh, you know it, de- it depends on the situation with the family so yeah and that appraiser my understanding is that you could also be used for the land too right like they could come to a, a fair market appraisal and then that appraisal is what's used as the basis for if the person who has the right of first refusal wants to buy the land or not. Correct. So when thinking about these buy sales, Ed, uh, is this really something that's not triggered until uh, the succession plan kicks in? Or is this something that may be enacted? Like, let's say there's a buy sell. Uh, could you also set up to where uh, the heir could start buying before the family member passes away or the older generation passes away? Right. That that is a terms that could be spelled out, um, you, and and that may be uh, there may be you you have to have flexibility in, in how you set these up and to some degree uh, because you obviously you know you, you can't always time what what's going on with with ag economy, but um, sometimes there there are there is a, a better better opportunities for the you know, younger generation to, to come in. And um, obviously sometimes that's not right after they are, you know, finished maybe their degree or, you know, maybe they're out in the workplace and they, they you know, there's, so, so there's, and, and maybe you want to open it up to um, uh, other siblings that could, you know, the, it may not just be one that, that may be interested. There may be others that could be, uh, have an interest in it as well, so. So obviously, the, these two topics, operating agreements and buy-sell agreements, are, are intermingled here, and, and buy-sell is a part of the, of the operating plan and operating agreement. Um, Michael, I want to come back to you and think about some of the other stuff that you touched on. Uh, so how does capital contributions play into how you may structure these? This becomes really important. Uh, Both the capital contributions and what Ed was talking about, these buy-sell agreements, are are really important because particularly when you're dealing with entities, which you usually are in these situations, because you really need to have some mechanism to transfer those shares uh, from one person to the next. And and, and that's where all of this comes together. And that's one of the reasons why the operating agreements are just essential uh, when you have when you have several family family members farming together, particularly if there's younger generation coming in, because as as Ed indicated, and as uh, as we as we talked about here, uh, maybe maybe you want to allow that younger generation to buy shares as they gain as they as they uh, gain income and 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 capital gains, and you know as they have the wherewithal 
maybe they can they can buy more shares and so we're not selling those shares after someone deceased we're trying to sell sell some of those shares before the person retires uh and and, and so and so that's this these buy sell agreements and operating agreements are really important when you're dealing with with capital contributions or the value of the shares and how those shares can be transferred across family members i'm going to go back to something i said earlier because i've seen these done in two different ways in terms of on-farm and off-farm heirs but some farms they want it they want to uh, they have the shares just available to the on-farm heirs, and that's that's your decision. If that's what you want to do, that uh, set it up that way. Uh, other other families, they want the off-farm heirs to be uh, to be uh, to be able to buy the shares, and 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 the off-farm heirs actually have the shares if 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 someone's deceased. Uh, that's really family dependent. Uh, but as an off-farm heir, I, I I think you need to think about you know the families need to think about that and don't necessarily exclude the off-farm heirs. That's something that needs to be discussed. Again, that transparency between the off-farm and off-farm uh, off-farm heirs and and just discuss that. You know sometimes rather than giving the off-farm heirs sh uh, shares, uh, you can give them an opportunity perhaps to buy uh, mom and dad's land. Uh, and, and, and something like that, and you could do a buy-sell agreement. It doesn't necessarily have to be with the just with the off-farm heirs. It could be with on-farm heirs and off-farm heirs, and you want to just want to keep the land in the family. That's the main thing. Uh, and so the the on-farm heir doesn't have uh, the wherewithal to buy to buy the, the 80 acres or 160 acres. Land's expensive. Let's face it. Uh, then if the off-farm heir can buy that, you know that would be better than perhaps uh, you know uh, losing the land from the uh, from the family and many families would think that way and so and so and, and so these are some of the issues that become really important uh, to include an in operating agreement and the buy sell agreement uh, so while you're talking there michael it, it occurred to me uh, this is also heavily intermingled with one of our previous uh farm transition series podcasts and that's business structure right uh, what you described to me sounds like a a c corp or an s corp where you actually uh this operating agreement is spelling out shares that people own, and they those can be traded amongst family members. Yeah, I think Ed talked about the business structure. So you want to comment a little bit about that, Ed? Yeah, it, it, you know, we talked about it during that point. Is that what I've saw in my past career as a lender is sometimes people get in a rush to set up a, a business, and you know, they they just want to set up a corporation. They said want to set up a limited liability company, and and they don't establish and limit you know a, an operating agreement to go along with that. I think so. So it's it's critical that they you, you match the the you know the the business structure to you know to make the operating agreement uh work and down the road it's it's got to you know match what into the type of entity and and you know you have to be looking ahead at at um you know wh where you're going to take this business into the if it if you think it's going to go next generation you know thinking about that and setting your goals ahead of time so and another thought there, Ed, as well, while you were talking about, it, I thought about this because I've you know, I've heard attorneys talk about talk about this topic, and that's why some people consider uh, using an LLC for their land holdings. You know, many times the land is is held outside the entity. That's the typical recommendation, but there's an LLC for that for that land holding or multiple LLCs if there's different ownership. And the reason why they're doing that 
is so that they can set up an operating agreement within that LLC and put in that operating agreement some of the things we're talking about. And that's one of the places where operating agreements are, are really important. If, if mom and dad, for example, want to want to certain things to happen, they, they, they develop this operating agreement to try to ensure that those certain things happen. Now, uh, just because you mentioned it, what is the reasoning there by by keeping the land separate and having a separate operating agreement for the land versus the, the rest of the entity of the farm? Usually there's an operating entity for the farm and the land is not in there. And one of the reasons why they, there's several reasons to, to do this. There's there's liability issues that always that always comes up. But but another issue that comes up is taxation. Uh, you know, uh, land rent, if you set this up right, is not subject to self-employment tax. And, and so that's one of the one of the reasons why uh, we, we see we see uh, the, the operating entity renting land from, uh, you know, from maybe the same people that are in the operating entity. But also, uh, let's face it, the, typically the older generation has the land holdings and you may have some older generation, maybe even all farm heirs. Uh, you know, off our mares from several generations ago that you're renting ground from. And so and, and, and so sometimes the land holdings is much more complicated in terms of how all that's done uh, compared to who's in the operating, uh, who's in the entity, the operating entity. So um, I, I think the next topic we'll probably spend a, a little bit of time on as well, because it's, it's another big one, and that is the distribution of profits. Um, you touched a little bit on this at the beginning, Michael, and, and I think this also goes uh, to some of what you were talking to as well, Ed. Um, how do these affect the distribution of profits among the, well, before the older generation passes and then after, uh, how that is determined? Well, when you're talking about the distribution of profits, and there, there, is, some, uh, there is some material on, on our website as well as websites, uh, ISU, uh, Decision Maker website, uh, related to distribution of profits, so I encourage people to to look at those materials because we can't get into get into the weeds here too much. But when you're looking at distribution of profits, you look at two things. Uh, and add, uh, please uh, pipe in here if I don't completely cover this. One of the things you're looking at is capital contributions. If if someone owns a lot of the machinery, for example, they need to be compensated for that. And so that that's very important consideration uh, when you're looking at distributions. But it's also effort. Uh, you maybe have someone in the business that's older and 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 they just aren't doing putting in as many hours anymore, but they hold quite a bit of the machinery, and so their their distribution is reflecting the fact that they own quite a bit of the machinery. But from a from a effort standpoint or a work effort, they don't get as much. And so I, I usually think of those two things are, are very important. You know how much how much of the assets that are in the entity do you do you own? Uh, it's usually machinery, equipment, grain bins, things like this. And then the other question is, uh, you know, how many hours are you putting in uh, to that business? And both of those are important considerations. And 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 in the classic case, when you're dealing with an older family member and a younger family member, the older family member is getting a distribution because of asset ownership primarily. They may be putting uh, you know some time into the business, but not, but not as much as the younger member. Whereas the younger member putting a lot of sweat and equity in there, and so they're getting compensated. Uh, you know, for their ownership of the assets, but also for the fact uh, that they're they're doing a lot of the day to day activities. Did I miss something there, Ed? No, I think you covered it. I, I, yeah, if you've got somebody that's really put a lot of time and in, in into the business and and working, and then you got others that that are just owning the assets, you know, number one, you want to make sure that the you always go back to the dirty five 
cost of production of owning assets, you know, depreciation, interest, repairs, taxes, insurance, um, you know, those things all have to be covered, you know, by that. And a lot of times that older generation, if they're not being properly compensated, you don't think, think through those things, uh, you know, that can cause some friction. Um, and, you know, the, other, the younger generation definitely needs to be compensated, but, but you have to, you know, it's a balancing act sometimes when you, when you go through and think about these things. And then the final topic that I want to touch on is uh, the entry of new individuals. Uh, and I think this one's a pretty touchy one because now, you know, and this can be both family member and non-family member, but how do these two, two topics, operating and, and buy-sell agreements, um, dictate how someone may, may enter the, the business? That's something that has to be discussed by the current people that are in the business and when you're developing this, this operating entity, because I, I, I talked about an example earlier where they let's let's just let's just say we have four people that are currently in, you know, currently in the business. And let's say we have, let's just make this case rather extreme, but we got four more people that, that are thinking about getting into the business. And so laying the groundwork for for which of those four can enter and what are the conditions for those four to enter the business becomes really important. And then in addition to that, I've been talking quite a bit here in the podcast about off-farm heirs. Uh, are we going to allow that to happen? Can they contribute capital, uh, you know, to uh, you know to the business? And so that also becomes a, a, a you know a, something that's really that's something that needs to be uh, you, that needs to be discussed. Uh, and, and 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 again, uh, once you've discussed that, communicate it with these four individuals that are thinking about coming into the business. This is what you need to do uh, in, in order to uh, in order to come into the business. And and, and this is also you know, this doesn't necessarily have to be in the agreement. But this is where the family discussions come in that we really can't add all four of you at this particular time. But uh, if, if XYZ or ABC happens, then maybe in five years, perhaps we can uh, you know, add one or two more of you uh, into the business. And so, and, and so that's why this, this communication is so important. Well, I think we have uh, used up a good half hour here discussing operating agreements and buy-sell agreements and, and uh, I think one of you said it best, uh, you know, we can't get into the weeds too much here, but there's a lot of information out there. Uh, there's the Iowa State bulletins, which are linked to on our uh, website, um, as well as a lot of great information on the Purdue Institute for Family Businesses uh, succession planning website as well, because these are highly detailed agreements that uh, typically I, I, I feel pretty confident saying you uh, or advising to go get some legal help here when, when you're doing it. They're going to help you think through all the things we've talked about today, um, as well as making sure that the contract and the agreement itself uh, is, is what your farming operation needs for, its, uh, for what it's looking to do. Right. The provisions are laid out in, in different documents on the internet, so it's not too difficult. I know we went, went through that relatively quickly. It's not too difficult to find, find outlines of those things. Also, um, I, I wanted to point out that in terms of the distribution of the profits and the management transfer, we have some material on the Center for Commercial Agriculture website uh, that, that talks about those. And, 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 and I, I took a close look at the Iowa State publications when I, was, uh, when I was writing those. And so I would look at both of those sources for those two topics, distribution of profits uh, and management transfer. And, and th those are things that I've been talking about and, 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 and trying to make sure that, that people think about that very carefully, because that's where the arguments 
really come in. Uh, I was promised this, and 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 you know, and it was oral promise, and uh, and 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 it never materialized. And so, talking about talking about those things up front is extremely important. You told me I was going to take over this business, so that didn't mean fifty years from now. Uh, that meant that meant, and in, 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 you know, I was going to take off some management responsibilities in the near future, and so, uh, and so, and so, all of those things are important when you're talking when you're putting together these operating agreements. Yeah, I mean, we all want what is promised to us, even even if no one else was around to hear that promise. We we want to make that known, and that can cause some uh, that that can cause some division within the the operation, and, and that's where you get into the conflict management. I think the purpose of of what we talked about here today is to help avoid that conflict uh, that, that can arise from the disagreements uh, for how the farming operation should proceed moving forward. Uh, so for more economic information, uh, visit us at the Purdue Center for Commercial Ag's website at purdue.edu slash commercial ag. Uh, for more information on the farm succession planning, um, along with the information that Michael just mentioned on the commercial ag website, uh, go to the Purdue Institute for Family Business website at purdue.edu slash agecon slash fambiz, and that is F-A-M-B-I-Z. On behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, uh, the Purdue Institute for Family Business, and the entire farm transition team here at Purdue University, I'm Brady Bruin. We thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.